Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. I'm Judy. I'm recovering compulsive overeater, and I am very nervous, <laughs> uh, but um, and I'm apologize for working off of notes, but I seem to need them. <laughs> um, I'm going to qualify first, just talk about what brought me in here. And then since this is a free thinkers meeting where I know there are a lot of different perspectives on sort of the spiritual aspects of OA, I'm, I'm going to spend some time talking about how I make this program work for me as an agnostic. Um, Lori told me I could talk about whatever with my experience, strength and hope, but I'm welcoming the opportunity to explore my own journey on that front and uh, share what's working for me. So first and foremost, this is just my story. I don't speak for OA as a whole. I certainly do not speak for the free thinkers as a whole, nor do I have any desire to convince anybody to think the way I do. I'm just sharing what works for me. Um, I'm what, what you could call a garden variety overeater. I have always loved food. There were lots of stories when I was growing up about me as a baby and a little kid and how much I enjoyed eating. My dad was my eating buddy. He loved food. He ate a lot. Only thing was he never gained weight. He always just weighed what he was meant to weigh. <laughs> um, and, and the truth is I didn't actually gain weight myself till I was in my 20s, though I never really felt great in my body. I was never delicate and petite, like a lot of members of my family and a lot of other friends of mine. I would never have made a good ballet dancer like many of them. I, so I never necessarily felt, I just guess I felt heavy in my body in a way, but um, I didn't really start gaining weight from my overeating till I stopped growing up and then started growing out um, in my twenties. Um, but long before I started gaining the weight, the food, and the potential of gaining the weight became an issue. Um, my mother was a funny mix of things. She was ahead of her time in many ways. She was an accomplished scientist. She became a full professor at a time that was very rare for women. Um, and so in many ways, she was not a very traditional person, but she did have some very traditional views that she passed on or at least tried to pass on to me about the importance of being thin if I wanted to meet a man and get married and all that stuff. Um, you know, it was funny with both of my parents who were very successful academics and in many ways, you know, one would say they valued accomplishments and moral character over appearances. And yet when it came to weight, um, they, they were very, very judgmental. I grew up with lots of very nasty comments being made about fat people and being sort of lazy. And the basic message was that what you weighed wasn't just about appearance. It was a measure of your moral character. And I think as is often the case, uh, the more I was judged for what I ate, the more rebellious I became about it. My mother watching over my shoulder saying, you don't want to eat that. It's like, yes, I do. And at the same time, I was definitely internalizing the judgment so that as I continued to act out with the food and eventually started gaining weight, I, of course, 
also started feeling terrible about myself. Um, Debbie, I just want to say I've got this. I've got my notes up on the screen. So you, I think you're going to need to just say something to me about timing because I won't be able to see you wave or anything. Oh, and and you're mute, but okay. Um, Judy, this is Nora. I'll time you. Oh, it's you, Nora. Sorry, I thought it was okay. You'll just hear little chimes, okay? Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, so I walked in the doors of these rooms a little over 20 years ago. I don't know exactly when. Um, after years and years and years of dieting and falling off the wagon and regaining the weight and hating myself for it. I had tried every diet imaginable. I tried other things as well, hypnosis. I even, in this part, it's very embarrassing to say, I had major surgery. I had liposuction. Um, I Sometimes I would lose a fair amount of weight. I never, ever reached a goal weight ever, but sometimes I would lose a fair amount of weight and then gain it all back. Sometimes I gave up very, very quickly. Either way, I always gained back what I'd lost and more. And it was so demoralizing. Um, so when I walked in these rooms 20 years ago, I was very, very dubious about whether OA was any different and whether I'd have any more luck here than anywhere else, but I thought I'd give it a try. And on the one hand, I immediately recognized when I walked in these doors that I belonged here. I heard so many things from others that I could identify with, but I was scared. I was scared that this was just another thing I'd fail at. I was scared that if I gave up the foods I loved, I'd never find a different way to comfort myself or that I'd just never be able to be happy if I gave up these my best friends. That's, you know, not that I ever really was happy and not that as I realized very quickly when I was in these rooms, not that the food really was my best friend because it was a pretty awful friend. The overeating, the foods that I thought were comforting me were not. <laughs> um, but in addition to being really scared, I was also mystified by several things. I didn't quite understand why the focus was on things like character defects didn't I already feel bad enough about myself? Wasn't this going to make it worse? And what did it have to do with what I ate and what I weighed? I was absolutely baffled by the fact that only the first step mentions food. Um, and then there was the God thing. So I grew up a secular Jew. My parents, my grandparents were deeply Jewish. It was who they were. It was their culture. It was their identity. And they were staunchly atheistic. So I grew up with Passover satyrs that were a big deal. The family came together, a lot of singing, a lot of storytelling. But if anybody tried to introduce prayers or talk about religious beliefs or whatever, my mom and her sister would be like, what does God have to do with it? God doesn't belong here. Um, so I came from a very atheistic background. I had many uncomfortable experiences with religions other than Judaism, with people trying to proselytize me, trying to save my soul. Um, if, if the Lord's Prayer was still being said at OA meetings when I walked in here, which it wasn't, fortunately, at least not in the Bay Area, I know I would have run away. There were too many years. I went to school for a year in England where we have to say the Lord's Prayer every morning. And, and in any case, I would have run but they weren't, and so I stayed for all the other things. And what jumped out at me in reading the OA literature, 
it was a bit harder to find in the AA, older AA literature, but was the whole idea, the concept of acting as if. Um, and my first reaction was, and I'm sorry if anybody's heard this story before, but I had an example in my life of acting as if. It wasn't about acting as if there was a higher power, but I still think it was relevant to me. It was it jumped out at me. I was a school teacher for many years and I taught elementary school. And uh, I had a friend who was working on a degree and a psychology degree. And she asked me to participate in an experiment. She asked me to pick one kid in the class who just drove me nuts. One kid I was having trouble liking. And she said, all you have to do is twice a day for like three or four minutes at a time when it really doesn't matter. The kids are reading on their own or doing their own projects. So you're not trying to run things. Just sit back, get comfortable, watch this kid with an open mind. Don't be judgmental or just open your mind to the fact that maybe he's a really wonderful guy. And I did that. I did that every day for a few weeks, few minutes at a time. And lo and behold, when I wasn't, you know, worrying about the fact that his rolling across the floor and with kicking somebody and then grabbing their pencil and whatever was causing a disruption to my class, I was able to just sort of watch him and say, this kid doesn't have a malicious bone in his body. He's not doing this on purpose. He's, I just was able to just sit back and watch and appreciate him. And in the course of two weeks, I fell in love with this kid. And a month later, his parents came in and said, we don't know what happened, but this kid used to hate, our son hated going to school and now he loves it. And what's changed, you know? So it was like, you know, it may seem like a bit of a stretch to connect this with acting as if there really is a higher power. But to me, that was the act of, that was, I was acting as if. There are important parallels. It was an exercise of acting as if every single child in that classroom was delightful and good and lovable. Um, and and act, letting go rather than trying to make something happen and believing that if I suspended the critical voice, something could, would change. I didn't have to understand why. I didn't have to go in there and micromanage it. I just let go. And it worked. That's 10 minutes, Judy. Thank you. Um, so I have similar feelings when it comes to HP, to something beyond me. I've made the choice in these rooms because it wasn't being forced on me. So my rebel didn't come out. I made the choice to act as if, as if I don't have to do it all by myself. As if the act of handing things over to something beyond me is enough to have the worries, the compulsions, the negative voices lifted. And often it works. And I have another little story. It's actually a joke from my mom. Again, apologies if I've already told this to you, but uh, my mom had this joke about these two scientists um, hanging out of one of their houses and the friend who was visiting said, what's that horseshoe doing up on your wall? And the person who lived there said, Oh, they say that brings good luck. And his friend said, you don't believe that, do you? The guy who lived there said, oh, no, I don't believe it. But they say it works even if you don't believe it. And for me, that is very similar. That's about acting as if. When I'm challenged by my family members who still 
think I'm absolutely crazy to be in any kind of program that that talks about God at all or whatever. Um, and people say to me, do you believe in God? I don't know. I'm an agnostic. I'm not an atheist. I'm an agnostic. I don't believe in the conventional God that looks like a Caucasian male with a bunch of rules and commandments for me to follow and punishments to be meted out. But I do know that I'm not the center of the universe. And I choose to believe that there is something out there, or maybe it's in here. It could be an inner voice, or I've heard some people talk about it as a deeper power rather than a higher power. Something that has wisdom and love and compassion and joy that I can tap into if I try. I don't need to be able to picture what that is. I don't need to know what my name for it is. It changes a lot. I just need to hand things over, which I do very often, almost every day by making a list of things that I'm handing over. Or if things are really scary for me, just stopping and shutting my eyes and saying, I need help. And then having faith that things just might work out if I let go and let them. And when they do work out the way I'd hoped, I do something that to me is the closest thing to prayer. I give thanks. And once again, I don't have to know who or what I'm thanking. Just being grateful and acknowledging how lucky I am completely changes how I view the world, how I view myself, how I behave towards others, and how I behave towards myself, including what I do around eating. You know, the biggest change for me around what and how I eat has come about through focusing on self-love, not on how awful I am when I overeat or on restricting or disciplining myself or punishing myself with forbidden foods, or even on how good I am when I don't overeat. It's not a moral issue. It's not about being good or bad. When I have peace with the food, I am grateful. I am lucky. It's a gift. Um, it being Thanksgiving week, I am, of course, thinking about food and the potential to overeat. They say that Thanksgiving is the day that normies dress up and pretend to be compulsive overeaters. Um, before I came into the rooms, I'd feel very resentful of the normies, the people who could eat what they wanted to and not gain weight, or people who just naturally ate small amounts and were happy with it. And I'd feel deprived. I'd feel sorry for myself. It's not fair that I can't eat that. But today, not always, because I am so far from perfect, but often today, I really don't see it that way. It's not that I can't overeat this week, it's that maybe I don't have to. It's that with the help from this program, maybe, no guarantees, it's a one day at a time program, but maybe I won't walk away from the table in pain. Maybe I won't be holding my sides from how much I've eaten. Maybe I won't have the emotional pain of feeling like I failed again. And maybe I'll just be able to eat sanely, enjoy what I'm eating, focus on how thankful I am for my blessed life, how thankful I am for the people I'll be sharing the holiday with, and how thankful I am for the people in these rooms who are going through the same recovery and healing process with me. I am so, feel so lucky to have found this program, and I am grateful to have been asked to speak today. And I look forward to hearing what other people have to say. And I wish everybody a serene and abstinent week. Thanks.